world without artists, you basically wouldn't be able to see anything, right? Because they do box covers, posters, everything. So my mind when I ended up going to Grover was I'm probably not going to get a AAA studio industry job right off the bat. So let me just build up my skills somewhere else that seems really cool first. And then maybe I'll make my way over there. Hello, welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising Black, Indigenous, and people of color for the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Ozalanda, one half of your co-hosts. And I'm Yuki Okamura-Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Jeremy Vicentina. He is an Asian-American artist working as a 3D generalist at Grover Gaming. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? What's up, what's up, what's up? Hi, I'm Jeremy. (laughs) I've known Ray and Yuki since college. We met in college, and that's how I know them. Awesome, man. We're super happy to have you on. It's It's been a while since we last talked. It has been a while. I know. Very excited. So the way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and you have to choose in between the two of them and let us know why. All right, cool. I'll start us off with the first question. Would you rather attend Xavier Schools for the Gifted Youngsters from X-Men or UA High School for My Hero Academia? Oh, the X-Men, hands down. That's not even a contest. <laughs> I'm so really? sorry to Boku no Hero, but... Yeah, of course. I've been reading X-Men since I was like five. <laughs> so it's got to be mutants. I just, <laughs> I just like the idea of being a mutant in the world of the Marvel comics over being like a superhero in Japan, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's where that takes place, right? <laughs> yeah, it's Japan. Yeah, I mean, like the world's over, they have superheroes. So yeah. technically you could still be in America. Yeah. My biggest thing for joining the X-Men would be to meet Storm because she's like a teacher at the Xavier Academy and mm-hmm. she's my favorite. So <laughs> that one heads down. That one heads down. <laughs> I had a feeling. I was like, I wonder if Jeremy's just going to go for Storm. (laughs) It's literally just because of Storm. She's so cool. (laughs) The absolute best. (laughs) Do I get to choose my powers or is it just random? Like, am I going to be like Toad or? (laughs) I I think I'll be semi-random. So you've probably thought about this for a while. I mean, what would you go with since you've been reading X-Men for a billion years? I mean, telekinesis is the most useful just because you can do anything with it. But also there's like a million telekinetic people (laughs) in the X-Men universe. There's also a lot of people who can fly. So I probably won't choose that. Maybe portals because you could be more like support, I guess. Mm. That'd be cool. But you could still do a bunch of really cool stuff. Yeah. And I would save so much on airfare. (laughs) I could go see you guys in L.A. (laughs) without having to book a ticket. The most convenient power has always been like teleportation for me. Like, yeah. like if I had Goku's like instant transmission, I would abuse the hell out of it. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe it's why we don't have these powers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Fair point. I think I would still probably go with like My Hero Academia over X-Men though. Interesting. That does not surprise me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not one bit. <laughs> Only because like I think X-Men does have better teachers and I think it might be a better environment versus like uh, yeah, debatable. <laughs> yeah, debatable. Debatable. Um, but I think with My Hero Academia, it's more of the sense of like, I'm basically going to school to learn to be a superhero to hopefully make money at it. I'm pretty much working for free if I was an X-Men for Xavier. I don't think they get paid to be X-Men. I think they just do it out of the kindness of their hearts because they want to, you know, protect mutants and protect the world. Mm-hmm. But 
their only support system is Xavier. Like, if I wanted to buy something, do I have to ask Xavier for, like, an allowance or for, like, cash? <laughs> okay. Like, what do I do? Okay, so I will <laughs> say that in the, the most recent run of the X-Men, they've created an island called Krakoa, and it's, like, a... Not magical, but it's, like, a mutant island thing. Uh-huh. I don't know how else to describe sure. it. They create, like, plants that they can, like, chemically change to turn into drugs that alleviates, like, human illnesses and diseases and stuff. And so they sell the drugs to the humans and that's how they make money in the new version of the <laughs> X-Men. So they're basically drug dealers. Very well off in the new X-Men franchise. But yeah, they don't they don't really make money in the old like X-Men at the mansion. I think they, they kind of just rely on Xavier's incumbent wealth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also just never talked about either. I mean, you don't really need money in that universe if you're just taking care of everything's taken care of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also now we see how Ray thinks he just does anything for money. Hell yeah. That's <laughs> generally true about Ray, isn't it? It's really revealing for Ray. Well, not just anything for money, but like, obviously, like, I want to make a living and then also get more of a unique costume. It won't be similar to everybody's if I was an X-Men. A lot of the X-Men have different costumes. You know that, right? I know the big players do, but like a lot of the starter ones, they have like the same ones, don't they? Like a uniform. Yeah. yeah. Well, in school, you would have the same uniform just to be unified. Mm-hmm. But I see Ray just wants to be yeah. special. That makes sense. <laughs> Is there something about like being a mutant that appeals to you, Jeremy? Because you did mention that. Um, other than the fact that I pretended that I was having uh, migraines when I was 13 to pretend to manifest mutant powers. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! That's the best. Anyone who read the X-Men when they were a kid totally tried it out. You cannot tell me otherwise. You, you pretended to have migraines. Oh, absolutely. So you were like, I'm gonna trick the universe. Yeah. You would never, you wouldn't like hold up your hand and try to flick on a light switch to see if you had telekinesis. Oh, I mean, yeah, of course. I did the thing where I pretended to power up thinking I could actually like, you know, like harness energy to perform a Kamehameha. Yeah, yeah. That's what I did. Did you ever try to pretend to put on, like, the Power Ranger suits with the little <laughs> medallion things? <laughs> the morphers? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I tried morphing and the costume never manifested out of the device. Never appeared. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've definitely done that where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to move this thing with my mind. Like, yeah. <laughs> of course. I don't know. <laughs> what yeah, I know. I get it. As a child. <laughs> oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Final question. Would you rather live under the sea with SpongeBob SquarePants or above the clouds in fairy worlds with Cosmo and Wanda from the Fairly Odd Parents? Hmm. I feel like there's a lot more fun under the sea with SpongeBob. <laughs> really? Okay. Yes. Also, he has a Krabby Patty, and I've always wanted to see what a Krabby Patty tastes like. Right. I mean, you know me, I love cooking, <laughs> and so like food related stuff is just really interesting. Oh, that's a really good point. I thought, like, when you said that it would be more fun, I thought you were going to go with Fairy World because they... Because they just have magic. Yeah. But, like, that's a really good point. It's pretty crazy in Bikini Bottom. I feel like Fairy World in Fairly Odd Parents was always really wackadoo mm-hmm. and, like, crazy. And I was like, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to hang out with some fish and maybe eat jellyfish jam on a on a burger. <laughs> yeah, honestly, jellyfishing sounds so much fun. Also, going to the beach underwater also sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Going to a tar pit. Yeah. I want to see the Sandy's tree house dome thing. Mm-hmm. 
I think that says something about like SpongeBob SquarePants, where it's like, yeah, it's just a bunch of fish, but they really had a lot of fun with it. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. like jellyfishing. You know, like you're saying, there's a dome under the sea, or there's just a tree where you could beat Sandy. Yeah, <laughs> with a squirrel, and like they do have a beach. It's made of tar, and like mm-hmm. it, it's like slice of life, but a little bit more just. A little bit more cranked up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's about a talking sponge, so yeah, <laughs> like, anything's possible. Yeah. Plus, I think with like as cool as Fairy World is, and the the fact that you could have magical powers, you're also basically like in servitude to a kid. You get assigned <laughs> a kid, and like you have to grant them wishes and stuff, and be at their beck and call. And like, I don't know if I want that as a yeah to be a part of my life, unless it's like my own damn kid. Then, like, I don't want to be assigned to a a kid that just (laughs) wants me to grant them every single wish. I'll be able to be my own person. I mean, you might not be. Wasn't it revealed at some point towards, like, the season finale that Timmy wished to stay a kid forever so he could make, like, unlimited wishes or something? Wasn't that, didn't that happen? Did he? (laughs) I don't know. There's, like, a billion seasons of Fairly Odd Parents. Yeah. And they kept adding more fairies. They were like, now they have a baby. And now they have a dog. Yeah. And then they added that other character where he had to share Cosmo Wanda, I think. He had to share custody. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the little girl. Yeah. Yeah, being a fairy does not sound fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you have to pretend to be a fish whenever there are, like, adults around. It's true. Also, Icky Vicky. I don't want to meet her. <laughs> <laughs> but Chip Skylark, though. <laughs> mm. I think it'd also just be depressed, too, because, like, the reason why you're assigned to a kid is because they have a depressing life or, you know, unattentive parents abusive parents just like if you have a good life you don't get fair to god parents if you have a cruddy life that's when you do and like that makes me sad that's right that's a good point it's also a good point you're so smart ray (laughs) yeah if i'm a fish i don't have a care in the world that's fine with me (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you so much for playing with us jeremy that was a lot of fun those are some good questions okay good (laughs) yay If you enjoyed today's in-between questions, let us know your responses. Or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, contact us on social media. All right, Jeremy, again, want to thank you once again for being on the podcast and glad to have you on here. So let's start off by kind of asking, could you tell us what it is that you do as a 3D generalist at Grover Gaming? All right. So as a 3D artist, you kind of do a whole bunch of stuff. And so that's why we're called generalists. So sometimes we'll be doing 3D assets to be put into a game. Sometimes we'll be doing like UI elements. So there's a lot of Photoshop and painting involved. There's a lot of motion graphics that happen in slot games. So there's a lot of motion graphics animation. There's a lot of VFX for special effects and stuff. There's painting. It's just a very wide encompassing job working in a slot game. You kind of have to be well-versed in a whole bunch of stuff because you never know what you're going to be asked to do. I guess that's something we should also talk a little bit more about because I feel like Grover Gaming might not be like a household name to the average person. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that studio and like what it is that they do? You mentioned slot gaming. Yeah, so Grover Gaming, we're a charitable slot game company. I think we're technically under software Mm. because we release software and hardware. Mm. So we make slot games. I think it's about 70% of the nation, some parts in Canada. And I think we just opened one in Chile. Whoa. Yeah, so our machines are kind of all over the place. And so charitable just means that whenever anybody clicks the play button and like bets and does a ticket, about like one cent of that goes into our charity pool. And I think we've raised about 320 something million at this point over the course of the company. Right. It's insane. <laughs> so we've donated 
about that much to charities. And that's how we can put charitable gaming in our company. As long as you do one set. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's per that's per play. People play multiple times on a machine. So. Yes, per play press. And we have a lot of like screens in the office that shows like how many plays have been made in certain wow. states and which games are doing the best. So we have like a stat board in our offices and it's way up in the thousands per day. So <laughs> Christ. that's so interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. Okay, what what state has the most gambling addiction? <laughs> I think it's Georgia or North Dakota. I think a lot of our games are in North Dakota. Oh, nice. I did, I would not have thought that. <laughs> right? At all. I guess in Nevada, they already have Vegas. Yeah. In Georgia, they also have Atlanta. Yeah. Wait, no, I was thinking Atlantic City. Where's Atlantic City? I don't think it's in Georgia. Yeah. No, that's, that's I was thinking Atlanta, Georgia, but no, I'm thinking Atlantic City. It's another gambling place. That's why I'm surprised. I'm like, I don't really know like of Georgia for being... Like a big gambling capital. Interesting. Yeah. No, this entire industry is is pretty surprising. There's a lot of things that, I mean, I wasn't aware of coming out of college, going into this slots game industry. So it was definitely an eye opener for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in Georgia, there is a gambling like convention. I guess I shouldn't say gambling because it's really, it's like a, it's, <laughs> it is centered around slot games. I think it's called like GGE mm. something gaming expo, but it's centered around like all of the companies that do slot games. And we have shown a lot of our new games at that expo and it's been pretty big. Oh. But when we make new games, it's either usually for Georgia or North Dakota most of the time. So I would say those are the biggest ones. Those are our biggest markets. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. So how did you actually kind of get started or even become aware of that studio and kind of getting your start there? Super easy. Uh, LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) When I got out of college and graduated, I applied to everywhere that just had 3D artists on uh, open positions on LinkedIn and what is it? Indeed and some of the other ones. Mm -hmm. So I was just like looking for anyone that would give me a job. And Grover was the second company to give me a response. Mm. And I went, they flew me over for an interview and I really liked the people and the interview went really well. And I actually got a call the day that I landed back home in California and they were like, hey, we want to offer you a job. And I was like, cool. When do you need me? (laughs) (laughs) To me, that's insane that they flew you. Because yeah, for those that don't know, Grover Gaming is located in North Carolina. They flew you all the way over to North Carolina. Mm hmm. For an interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then that's that's something they paid for, right? That didn't come out of your pocket. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I would not have flown on my own dime because <laughs> that's across the country. Yeah. That just to me, that just shows they have not that they have money to blow, but they have that kind of financial income mm-hmm. to even offer that for an interview. You know? Yes. Mm-hmm. That is insane to me. Because um, when I interviewed for our brothers, luckily, I lived at the time I was living close enough for it was still like an hour drive for me. But I had to drive an hour to do like an on lot interview. Mm-hmm. But I don't know many animation studios that would pay mm-hmm. to fly you over to have you visit the studio i think everything now is like we can just zoom in yeah we'll just get on a video call yeah nowadays it's just a lot of zoom <laughs> that's why a lot of people try to move to la because if you're not in the area and you don't like have access to an in-person interview mm-hmm. a lot of the times they'll turn you away which is the upsetting reality it's really hard although i guess more people are interested in doing like online work from home mm-hmm. you know it's it's getting a little better now 
Yeah. I will say that one of the biggest eye openers was that this is a billion dollar industry as well as like TV mm-hmm. and animation, because I think my art director was just sharing some stats in a, in a meeting the other day that the slots industry, and this is all encompassing. So like Vegas and all, all of that mm-hmm. casino stuff, mm-hmm. it's like well in the hundred billion dollars of revenue, like just in 2021. Mm-hmm. So it's a really big industry. Wow. And so they definitely have the money to do this kind of stuff. A lot of our employees in the company are from out of state. Mm-hmm. And so they, they do this pretty often where they fly in somebody to do an interview because you never really know mm-hmm. what a person is like until you have them in studio. Mm-hmm. So they definitely do this quite often. And for you guys, like the turnover rate, it seems pretty low. Like you've been there for a while now mm-hmm. uh, since you started and you started completely like out of school. Fresh out of college. Yeah. I remember you did a test for them. Mm-hmm. I think before they flew you out. Right. Yes. Yes. So I think the timeline was I applied at some point in May, <laughs> May or June. <laughs> I got a R test from them in August. I think it took them a while to respond. Mm-hmm. And then I did the R test. I had about two weeks, I think it was. And then immediately after the two weeks, heard back from the HR department and they were like, hey, we'd love to fly you in for an interview. What time works best? And then they gave me a schedule. I interviewed in November of 2019, I think, and then started started in December. Wow. Yeah. Was there anything in the art test do you think that was like kind of made you stand out or they were just like, oh, this guy can do it. I don't know about me specifically that made me stood out. I think it was just the level of quality. Mm. Because I, I talked to the art leads and the art director a lot, they send some of the really bad art tests. And so I've seen a lot of the really bad art tests. Like, oh. they really only share the really bad ones, but there's a lot of bad ones out there <laughs> that they get. So it's just seeing the quality that they get coming in is very eye-opening. Mm, interesting. You don't realize this, but like a lot of people want to be artists in an industry, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter which one. And so Mm -hmm. you kind of have your small knit group of people when you go to college, but there's hundreds, thousands of colleges out there. Mm -hmm. And so there's just a ton of people that do art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm assuming like, not saying that there's not like great artists applying for like slot games, but I'm assuming like a lot of the artists that probably have more skills are like, you know, trying to get into like triple A games or trying to get into like Disney or like. Dreamers and stuff, mm-hmm. and you tend to forget about these smaller studios or these different industries mm-hmm. that also have to produce art to create something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember which one of our professors said it, but a world without artists, you basically wouldn't be able to see anything, right? Because they do the box covers, they do posters, they do like everything. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that this is definitely not something that I had in my peripherals when I was applying to jobs. Obviously, everybody's like, oh, I want to ma- I want to work in a triple a game studio mm-hmm. i want to work at i don't know blizzard santa monica or you know riot all of that stuff yeah mm-hmm. but my mind when i ended up going to grover was i'm probably not going to get a triple a studio industry job right off the bat so let me just build up my skills somewhere else that seems really cool first mm-hmm. and then maybe i'll make my way over there mm-hmm Yeah, I remember when I found out that you accepted this offer when you were in the interview stage at that point. But yeah, I remember we were were having a conversation and you were mentioning how like exactly what you said. You don't know if you'd be able to get a studio job right away, but that this was an interesting field. And I just remember saying how like, yeah, like we're still so young in this point of our lives that like we have our entire career to get to that like bigger studio or like that triple a game mm-hmm. or whatever kind of career we want like yeah and yuki kind of did the same where like you flew out to georgia for work you flew out to north carolina for work like right now in the early stages of careers that the times we can take the most risk or like you know go out and experience something before we kind of settle into what we really want because you forget 
how long of a career you're actually going to have in the future. You, mm-hmm. you just tend to think you want certain things now. Or you want to be in the place you want to be now. But you honestly have nothing but time. Yeah. If you really think about it. Especially right after college. Because, I mean, you're what, maybe 21, 22. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like, just above in the in your 20s. Mm-hmm. But you can have a career well until you're, like, 50. Oh, especially you. You were one of the youngins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was the youngest person in our class. We're both November babies, but you weren't held back a year. No. I had to be held back. <laughs> My parents said, you got to go to school early. <laughs> we got to get you in school. <laughs> yeah. So it's a really good opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People people will have careers up into their 50s and 60s. And if you're only 20, that's like yeah. twice your the life that you've lived up to that point. So, mm-hmm. I mean, why not go out, move across the country, drop everything and learn new skills? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, very, very, very much true. Yeah. We kind of talked a bit about like what has it been like working in slot games, but like how many games have you worked on since being there? I think I've worked on probably like seven games from start to finish. So what's special about this job is that I remember in the interview, my art director was telling me that they pump out games like I think they can do up to like 60 games in a year because they do conversions. Yeah. So we do we do conversions of games already in our library, but we just have to tailor them to a different market. This is a lot of information, but in the sloth industry, every state kind of has different rules for what they allow in slot games to be put out in the public. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, for example, I call Virginia the no fun zone because they don't like, <laughs> yeah, they don't like, they don't allow anything that's spinning. What? Uh, they don't allow anything that has flashing. Okay. They don't allow anything that has the word multiplier or free games or bonus in the titles. And they they also don't allow anything that in quotes is too enticing. <laughs> okay. Which is is a is very vague and it really determines on whoever the judge is when you're submitting your games to be put out into the field mm-hmm. to determine if your game is too enticing or not. And so they will get that sent back and then we have to make the changes that they say and stuff like that. So different states have different rules and regulations for their games. And so we just convert old games that we already have in our library to fit the new states. And so that's how we pump out like 60, 30 games in a year. Mm. So just like reskinned the gameplay that's already there. (laughs) Got it. Yeah. Or that's even a different thing is, so that's just a conversion. A conversion is different from a reskin. Oh, okay. And so a reskin is like just a new coat of paint on everything. Everything else is just the same, but Mm. it's like a different theme. So like the mechanics of it is the same. It's just switching out the assets. Yeah. All of the art will get replaced with new art. Oh, interesting. So like having it be like food theme and then you just swap it out to be like sports teams or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the conversions that I did was <laughs> the, the, the original was a very slots theme classic casino game. It's called Kiss Me, I'm Irish. It was uh, Irish ladies <laughs> at a pub. <laughs> trying to get you to to drink and play the game, right? Mm. We converted that into a game themed around Sun Wukong. Whoa, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. <gasps> that sounds so fun. Because in Kiss Me, I'm Irish, you pick the three ladies mm-hmm. as like your bonus icons or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then in this one, you have the, the three people in Sun Wukong's crew. <laughs> yeah, his companion. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> we do. We do reskins. We do conversions and all that stuff. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. So what has been like the most fun slot game that you've worked on so far? That is a that is a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of the games that I've worked on have been really fun. But I will say 
my favorite game that I've worked on personally is called Lucky Lobsters. Um, it's <laughs> honest. It's I about, love these. I just keep going. I'm it's, sorry. It's uh, so it's I. It's funny because I did not like the game theme when we got the theme handed to us mm-hmm. in the meeting when we had our kickoff for it. Mm-hmm. They were like, "Yeah, you're gonna do a game about lobster fishing up in Maine," and I was like, "Oh, boring." <laughs> like, <laughs> like who's who wants to play this game? Obviously, people in Maine or North Dakota or something in the northern. Uh, New England area. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, this game is totally not my vibe, not gonna be cool or whatever. But the way that we push the style, and I actually, those were my first set of symbols that I got to do. And those are really fun. I got to play around with style a lot. And then that game just ended up looking really well because we had a really strong style guide for our game. Mm. And it looks really fun. So that's my that's my pick. <laughs> for symbols, do you mean just like numbers and stuff or so? Do you know typical like slot game, what they look like? So you can have like royals and you're trying to match three. Like a seven in a bar or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're like trying to match okay. three of the symbols on the, on uh-huh. the I guess in our case, the screen to get a win. So it's just icons, the symbols that you are matching. Okay, got it. Yeah. What are the kind of different versions? Because like all I'm thinking about is like maybe how you mentioned maybe a spinning wheel where like you're trying to get like something to land on like a high price to land on the little red cursor mm-hmm. or when yeah it's like the three spinning like little bars to get a matching set like what are the different kind of slot games that are even out there there's a lot of different ones so there are reels games which has like actual spinning in it mm-hmm. and then there's one called pull tabs which is similar to like like way back when in the 60s or whatever you had pull tab tickets oh, yeah. and it was similar to that mm-hmm. They used to do that at my church. <laughs> you would yeah. buy these little cards and they would have printed on them the win already. Yeah. And you would literally pull off like tabs. It would be like a, a board on top. You would pull the tab off and reveal underneath yeah. the printed board. And if it was a winner, like it would, you know, you would match up the lines and stuff. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I can't believe they converted that to like a digital thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's pull tabs. There's also a bunch of different weird ones. Like there's one called Kino, K E N O. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kino. It's kind of like bingo, but not. That one's really weird, but we have a bunch of Kino games. Kino's weird. Yeah. I don't know. There's just a whole wide variety of them. But most of our games nowadays are three real games. Mm. Like imagine in a casino, the casino machine, you have the the wheels that spin in the three sections. And so it's just the three of those. Yeah. And three. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pretty standard. Pretty classic. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. That seems like it would have the most potential for like some kind of art asset. Yeah. So like working in slot games is like right now, like I'm learning so much and it's such a like interesting field, like something that even, well, I knew it existed because of you, but like (laughs) I didn't know slots existed, Ray. (laughs) Well, just like the the industry as a whole, like, yeah, yeah, sometimes you forget things need artists to create stuff. Definitely. So what is something that you have learned kind of like working in this field? I mean, there's definitely a lot that I've learned coming into the slots industry. There's a lot like from an art standpoint that I've learned, there's a bunch of stuff that like new ideas that I haven't had to test out or that I've had to learn how to create in 3D. Mm. And then just learning that a lot of slot games are like actual games. Like we use Unity and we use the game engine. And so it is really just creating a game, but for old people, (laughs) 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 it has a completely different goal. It's but it is ultimately for entertainment Mm -hmm. like a lot of the stuff that we do is just for excitement and anticipation Mm. 
for wins and all of that stuff. Creating that excitement for when somebody gets a big win or a colossal win, like $3,000, you're like, wow. <laughs> so just like coming up with different ways to add excitement into a video game from a visual standpoint mm. has been really interesting to learn. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think going into this, your attitude was definitely like, oh, I just want a job. Yes. Uh, Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I guess because like you had mentioned it earlier, too, where like, you know, coming out of school, a lot of people only just want like they do want a job, but they're like, but I want a job that, you know, has some kind of like ties to the industry of like AAA games or like Mm -hmm. usually they'll try to go for a AAA game studio or like maybe even an indie studio that's like, oh, I could funnel myself into a AAA. Mm -hmm. And is that a goal for you to kind of get into different games outside of slots eventually? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of people's goals, Mm. (laughs) especially going to college to learn how to make video games. It is definitely a goal of mine at some point to maybe go back and go into a AAA studio. But honestly, there's a lot of stability in slots. Mm. Like like the the profit margin on our company is is really high. And so a lot of the people at the company have a lot of tenure. Like Mm -hmm. my art director has been with the company for nine years. My art lead has been with the company for eight years. And so like the job stability at this company specifically specifically Mm. is really high that's so nice so i actually don't know how long i'm gonna be here (laughs) yeah yeah because yeah i think you even mentioned before like you've even gotten some bonuses throughout your time there i get bonuses every month Mm -hmm. right (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know if that's like standard for games but i have heard that in games in general like it sounds like this company is treating you and like your coworkers and everybody very well but like Mm -hmm. for games A big thing about like, you know, there's like a lot of crunch culture and stuff uh, in AAA. But the thing about it is that you also get bonuses for when you do all of that crunch. So it like kind of makes it worth it for people currently in that industry. So it's not like exploding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is like stressful Mm -hmm. and people want to reform it. But like the reason why it's not as bad as like animation for example is like yeah i mean you can work a little ot or whatever but you're not going to get a bonus or residuals for any of those episodes you work on Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like there's just so much more incentive in games Mm -hmm. and i'm really glad that this company is like it's interesting it like treats you very well i have another friend who's in like mobile games but a similar like large sort of company structure and they did a, a similar thing where they like you know flew her out for an interview and like moved her up to where they are and stuff like that and it's crazy to me that these companies are obviously like gathering a lot of talent because they're paying you (laughs) yeah (laughs) and they're giving you longevity in your work like Mm -hmm. imagine And one thing I will say is that I was kind of wary of big AAA studios when I was applying, Mm. mostly because, especially with recently what people have said on Twitter and all that stuff, there's a lot of kind of expectation when working at a AAA studio to do overtime in crunch and kind of not get paid for it. You are expected to do a bunch of overtime and to like almost overwork yourself. Mm -hmm. And so for me going into this company where I literally clock out at five and don't think about work until 8 a.m. the next day like it's it's really freeing to not have to worry about am I gonna get fired if I don't work an extra three hours tonight (laughs) to finish up an asset or something yeah Mm -hmm. and it should be that way yeah absolutely should be yeah so one of the things I also want to ask is like as we mentioned before the studio is located in North Carolina where you were currently Mm -hmm. what was it like uprooting your life over to the east coast and when would you want to come back or do you even want to come back 
to the West Coast. It was pretty crazy. I mean, <laughs> can you think of a lot of people who are willing to move completely across the country with nothing else? <laughs> no. I, I do like to be super independent. So it really wasn't a worry for me moving over across the country because I knew I'd be fine. I knew a lot of people at the company were really cool. So I'd make friends pretty fast. Mm. But getting adjusted from a big city to a significantly smaller city was really tough because we went, we were in San Jose. We were literally in the heart of downtown Mm -hmm. and so everything was walking distance you know i could go to an asian grocery store two blocks down for my apartment mm-hmm. in North Carolina, not so easy. Like <laughs> when I lived in my old city, I had to drive an hour and a half one way to go to Asian groceries. And so that was really hard for me because I like to cook and it was really hard to find Asian ingredients. Mm-hmm. Like I would have to significantly plan out mm. what I was buying grocery wise in order to make the things that I wanted without it going rotten or bad and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was it was definitely fun. I would love to move back, mostly because of convenience. (laughs) (laughs) I love the Bay Area. I will say the Asian restaurants in the Bay Area are significantly superior to the ones over here. (laughs) (laughs) And so I would definitely love to go back. I do visit probably once or twice a year back home. Mm. So it's not like I'm never having in and out again, but (laughs) I miss in and out so much. (laughs) The convenience. But yeah, I would ultimately like to move back to California at some point. Mm. Maybe not immediately like tomorrow because I have a pretty stable job as it is. But Mm -hmm. I would definitely love to move back at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I remember correctly, obviously when the pandemic happened and the pandemic is still actually happening, a lot of people ended up working from home. You worked from home for a bit. But if I remember correctly... I think you're back either hybrid or full time going back into the studio, if I'm not mistaken. We were full back in September, actually. Okay. September of last year, really early. Yeah, for a long time. The thing I kind of wanted to ask, like the studio was still able to make stuff while you guys were working from home. Mm -hmm. Have some people decided to keep working from home, but did everybody kind of come back? Like, do you have the option to like, if you were able to keep working from home and work remotely, would you move closer back to the West Coast or would you kind of still stay around East Coast? I don't think that they would allow a whole bunch, like an entire department to move back to their hometowns to work remotely Mm. because we're not completely an online company. Mm. We have a lot of in-house stuff that we have to do. So I don't think that I would have been able to move back to California during the pandemic. Mm. But we are a full-time in-house. Okay. There's been a lot of talk recently about maybe doing a hybrid for some people, Mm -hmm. but they really expect everybody to be back in the office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the numbers in North Carolina are significantly lower than California so I haven't had as much worry about catching COVID and I mean knock on wood I haven't caught COVID yet but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I don't worry about it as much living in North Carolina because it was like 10% or something where it was like 70-80% in LA County at the height of the pandemic Yeah. so I just didn't worry about it as much. Totally. Yeah like like you said you were moving to a much smaller city from like crowded California. Yeah. <laughs> so that that all makes sense. Mm-hmm. And actually, like your company recently moved you too, right? Yeah. So we opened up a second branch in Wilmington. So before we were located in Greenville, Wilmington is a beach city. So it's a lot bigger. We have a Costco. <laughs> That's the one thing that, that I always bring up because I love Costco. <laughs> Dude, me too. <laughs> it's been really great to have at least some stuff back mm. within reach. And you live like near the beach. <laughs> Dude, and the fact that like you have such a nice apartment too. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. You have such a nice apartment. And I'm like so, so jealous. Like how, how much how much is your rent again? I just 
1200. Oh my God. Ah, That's uh, so nice. And you live near the beach? I think it's like 800 square foot in a beach city. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that insane? I paid twice that. Yeah. Well, I mean, my old rent back in my smaller city of Greenville was 750 mm-hmm. 750 a month for like 700 square feet. Yeah. Like nothing. I used to brag about it because... <laughs> I I mean, you know, I would talk about, I was like, oh, my rent is so low. It's so great. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like you have a stable job and you're like saving a ton of money by like living in an area where it's the cost of living is much lower. I mean, but also my my pay is significantly lower than a lot of people who are in LA, but that's literally just due to cost of living. Mm -hmm. That's another thing is I don't really compare annual salaries to people in like LA because my dollar is significantly worth more technically than people in LA Mm -hmm. just because of like rent prices, utilities, everything in LA is like so much more. So of course you're going to have a higher salary. So Mm -hmm. I would say that to people applying to like small, lesser known states is like don't necessarily look at the number two too hard mm-hmm. yeah i think of the surrounding area and the expenses of that area yeah mm-hmm. i definitely did it's very much true like even though like people in la might be paid more the dollar might be able to stretch farther in a smaller state mm-hmm. yeah that was the one thing that i was looking at i was like oh i'm only getting x amount of money at the start but when i looked up the cost of living in my county it was like oh like minimum wage is seven dollars mm-hmm So that was like, okay, so I see where that's coming from. And then kind of percentage wise, seeing how much of it was going to rent, utilities, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely take it into account where you're moving. Mm -hmm. So for you, one of the other things I also kind of want to discuss is that how do you feel your education at San Jose State University kind of prepared you for your career? I know it didn't specifically prepare you for like slot games, but like as an artist, how do you feel like you were prepared attending San Jose State? No, I'm going to say right now, we need a petition for people to make slot games as their senior thesis. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Because what I liked about San Jose was that they really focused on fundamentals your first two years. Mm-hmm. So they made sure you did like a painting class. They made sure mm-hmm. you did like a basics animation class. And then just your basic perspective, rendering, understanding light and shadow, all of that stuff is super handy. And something so expansive, I guess, is the word for something like a 3D generalist. Mm. We do a lot of painting in Photoshop. We do a lot of 3D stuff. And then rendering is really important. So I would say it's been really helpful. San Jose does a really good mm. job of teaching fundamentals. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, that, that's awesome. Like, because I know for like in our final year, for all three of us, we're all in different disciplines. Because another thing with San Jose State is when you enter your final year, you enter in one of four disciplines, whether mm-hmm. it's biz dev, story, animation, or like modeling. So you were in the very, very small modeling class. Seven people, I think, Gosh. was what it was. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was very small, but I definitely learned a lot. I will say that a lot of the stuff that I did learn was in my own free time. So you kind of do have to do a little bit of extracurricular learning on your end Mm -hmm. if you want to do super well in the industry because the teachers really can only teach you so much. I mean, you have what, maybe there's six hours of class in a week or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was for us. Yeah. Two, three hour. Yeah. Split into like two chunks. Yeah. Yeah. So like six hours in a week is really small to be able to learn so much, especially being a 3D artist. You have to learn like 800 different programs. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a new program that pops up every mm-hmm. week doing a super specific niche thing. So mm-hmm. you, you have to <laughs> kind of put in that work to learn extracurricularly. Mm-hmm. Was that something that you did while you were in school? Oh, absolutely. Every week you were like, hey, I'm going to look up what was the new thing at the time? 
substance designer was coming out, starting to do a lot of stuff. Substance painter was starting to be taught in our classes. I think like two years after I took the basic modeling course, they started doing substance painter. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, just learning industry standard programs, you just kind of got to put in the time. There's no other way to learn than through examples and tutorials and doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that was what separated me and a lot of our friend group was that we did a lot of extracurricular learning. We did take the time outside of class to learn a whole bunch of new stuff and techniques. Yeah. One of the last things I kind of want to ask you before we segue into the final question, how do you feel your cultural background has influenced you as an artist? I would say it's been very interesting. There's a lot of slot games that are Asian themed. (laughs) And so I can I can give opinions on certain things. People have sometimes questions about like Chinese characters and I can give them uh, sources or I can tell them, oh, yeah, that means like whatever. And I can just give my opinions on like, oh, that pattern looks kind of off or that you wouldn't really see this in certain places. Mm. And I mean, it really ultimately doesn't matter (laughs) because Mm -hmm. the people that play our games are not really like don't have an eye to detail but it's nice to know for me (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that it's like culturally accurate or whatever Mm -hmm. and then just growing up in california you are experienced to a lot more people cultures because it really is a melting pot over there Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of stuff that you can pull from and use as inspiration or just for variety Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of variety in our games like i remember the whiplash of going from like a mexican themed like pinata party going into (laughs) the the new england lobster fishing game Mm -hmm. and then after that going into a haunted carnival game (laughs) (laughs) So like, so the themes in our games like vary wildly. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to pull from like, oh, this kind of reminds me of this thing from way back when, or in California, there's kind of this thing, or, you know, in my culture, we used to eat these foods or or something like that. Mm. It's been really interesting. Mm -hmm. Being able to like insert your experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jeremy. Where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you want to promote? Yeah, thanks for having me on. You can find me on Instagram at sassmasterderm or on Twitter. I think it's germaphobe. I'm sure they'll have it linked somewhere. (laughs) The links will be below or in the social media post when this comes out. Mm -hmm. I really don't post a lot of art, so I'm sorry to anyone that is kind of finding (laughs) for my art. I really don't post. I'm a terrible social media artist. But yeah, I don't really have all that much to plug. As we come to a close, what final advice would you want to bestow on those that want to pursue a career in games? Just, I would say that open your eyes when you're applying to jobs fresh out of college. Like there are so many different industries out there that need art, Mm -hmm. like slots games. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of medical industries that use a lot of 3D art Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So like definitely keep your eyes out and don't just be tunnel visioned into, oh, I need to work at Riot or I need to work at Blizzard because those are the big names. Mm -hmm. Like you can always work your way up to it if you want. Just keep your eyes open to what's available. Mm -hmm. That's pretty perfect. Totally. Well put. I think that doesn't get said enough. I think when you are like in college or when you are studying animation and you want to enter the industry, you tend to shoot big and it's not it's not bad shooting big, but you you forget it's not always A to B. There's a bunch of little stepping stones for you to get to your end point or the point that you want to be at. And yeah, there's so many amazing smaller studios. There's so many other like opportunities that you can take and like learn and just to kind of bring it back where it's like you're going to have a long career. Mm-hmm. it's okay if you don't start at disney or a blizzard or at riot right away mm-hmm. you have time 
Yeah. You have the time. Yeah. I will add that you might think that you're really good and, and that you can apply to Blizzard and Riot and stuff, but also they're accepting applications from all over the nation and all over the world sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you really have to compete with the best. And if you're fresh out of college, that just might not be in the cards. Mm-hmm. And so why not take the opportunity and learn and really hone your skills for a few years at a smaller company that you can learn and grow from? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also remember that I think it was Sunny that told me that one of her friends who now I think works at Riot, Mm. she started at a slots game company. Mm. And so it definitely has happened before. Yeah. So that made me feel more confident about taking the slot game job that I Mm. have now. Yeah, totally. Like, and you're meeting like people who've, I assume, worked in more than just slots and like you're learning from them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really glad that we had you on, Jeremy, because like I really want to put out there that there are lots of different opportunities for students to, you know, grab onto. Like there's so many jobs out there right now and you just have to take the opportunity and, and apply everywhere and know that like any experience you're gonna get as long as it's from like a, a real company <laughs> like a real vetted yeah. company <laughs> yeah <laughs> any experience you're gonna get is gonna be good experience and it's gonna be you know growth for you so mm-hmm. just go out there and don't be afraid to apply to these smaller studios or like slightly different industries mm-hmm. and i'm glad that's really worked out for you jeremy yeah thanks mm-hmm. yeah well audience if you enjoyed our interview with jeremy today please rate and follow us on anchor spotify or wherever you tune in follow us on twitter and instagram at straight ahead ap if you have any suggestions for future guests please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com we love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future special thanks to our editor edgar ariano and finally a big thanks to our music composer daniel rodier Thanks again for listening, and thank you once again to our guest who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.